Hey, if you can't tell, I am a little bit under the weather, so if we have some random voice cracks today, you know, you don't have to laugh too hard at me. We can, there was one right there. So be prepared for a few voice cracks in there, and if I have to reach back here and blow snot all over you, it's going to be a good time. Um, I wanted to review kind of where we've been over these last few weeks. So uh, we started this series called Change, uh, coming into the new year, and, and the first thing we pointed out with change is that Big change for the sake of the gospel begins with small steps of obedience. And I've repeated that every week we've done this, that big change for the sake of the gospel begins with small steps of obedience. So then that was our first week. We talked about the big change we wanted to see was that we wanted to see God radically change our schools, radically change our community. We want to, do, we want to see God do something incredible in us and through us. And that begins with our small steps of obedience. So the following week... We talked about not just why it's important to study God's Word, but how we study God's Word. I think oftentimes, you know, we come in here and I can sit here and say, you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be prayer. You need to be prayer. You need to be in prayer. Um, but yet, you might sit here and say, okay, what? I just opened my Bible, ran a place. You don't really know what it looks like. So that, that second week, we looked at how to study God's Word. And I really hope you guys took that to heart. You took good notes. If you have questions on that, please come talk to me. Because remember, I challenged you that that we should be in our word, reading the word of God every single day. And I challenge you to keep doing that. Last week, we had our night of worship. And we talked about that's another one of these small aspects that make a big difference for the gospel. So we talked about what true worship looks like and how it should be in spirit and in truth and why both of those things are so important. And that brings us to this week, and we're going to talk about prayer. Not just why prayer is important, we will talk about that, but how do we pray? I mean, you might be sitting here, maybe you've never prayed once in your life. Um, maybe you're sitting here and you just, you know, you pray for your food. You don't really know what it looks like to have a life uh, that reflects biblical prayer. So we're going to look into that today and, uh, and answer those questions. But first off, we need to answer the question, why should we pray? So before we talk about how we should pray, you might be wondering, well, why is this something I should even do? Why, why is prayer important? The first reason that is kind of obvious is that Scripture commands us to do it. All right, so if you're a follower of Jesus and Scripture commands us to do it, then it's something that we should be striving towards. Colossians 4, 2, it's not going to be up on the screen, but it tells us to devote ourselves to prayer. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says that we should pray constantly. He says pray incessantly without ceasing. So it's evident, and it's all through Scripture that we as believers need to be in prayer. So that's the first most obvious reason of why prayer is important is because Scripture calls us to do it. And the second one is this. Prayer is powerful, all right? Prayer is power. There is power in prayer, and the story we're going to look in to demonstrate that is 1 Kings 18. So you're welcome to pull up a Bible from under your chair or pull up on your phone. We'll have it on the screen, but I'm going to give you some background info as we begin to look at uh, 1 Kings 18. So remember, when I talked about studying God's Word, it's important for us to know the context. It's important for us to know the backstory. So let me give you a little backstory of, of where we're going to be. We're going to pick up in verse 30. But I'm going to kind of give you what's going on before that. Here's what's going on. So there's this guy named Elijah. All right, Elijah is a prophet of God. And he comes to this guy, this guy named Ahab, all right? Elijah makes it clear that he is not happy with Ahab. Ahab has done something wrong. And it's clear that Elijah's coming to seek this guy out. And he sees it. And when Ahab sees him, he's like, oh, no, that's Elijah. Why are you coming to seek me? Are you causing trouble in my life? And here's what Elijah tells him. He said, dude, you're in, you and your family and your household you know, you're desecrating our God. You, you are worshiping a false God, and this false God, his name was Baal. So Elijah tells Ahab he wants to gather 
all the prophets of Baal, all these people who have been worshiping this false god, and he wants them to meet Elijah on this mountain. And they're going to decide once and for all who the one true living God is. So here's what Elijah tells them to do. He says, okay, I want you to take a bull. I want you to cut it up. I want you to put it on a wood altar, okay? And then we're going to pray to our God. Uh, they're going to pray to Baal. I'm going to pray to Yahweh. And we're going to see which one of these will just burst into flames. So it's, he's pretty much just saying, here's what we're going to do. You're going to create an altar over here. I'm going to create an altar over here. And we're going to decide once and for all who the real God is. Here's what ends up happening. So the people, the, the Baal worshipers, they set up their altar. You know, they cut the bull up. They, they, they do the wood as they were commanded to do. And they just start praying to Baal. It's like, Baal, show yourself to us. Answer us. And it says they pray from morning until noon and nothing happens. So they start to get a little discouraged. And Elijah can tell. So he starts mocking them. And I always found this funny. Flip and I were talking about this earlier and kind of laughing about it. Elijah goes, is your God, like, is, is he in the bathroom? Is he on a journey? Is he sleeping? Like, what's going on? Why is your God not showing up like you said he would? And he kind of starts to mock him a little bit. And it's really funny to see how he's doing that. And they then go as far as to begin cutting themselves as, as was the, the reaction in their religion, what they were supposed to do. They begin cutting themselves and calling out to Baal and say, Baal, please answer us, answer us. Nothing happens. So then we're going to pick up in verse 30. And this is when Elijah is going to show them who the one true living God is. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 30, says this. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering. And on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran toward the altar, or ran around the altar and filled the trench also with the water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, oblation is just something being offered to God. So at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. And the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, not, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. So that's a little gruesome ending. But let's, let's talk about this whole story, how it all plays out. So you've got these, these prophets that are worshiping Baal, this false god. And then you've got Elijah, who's a prophet of the one true God, the Lord, Yahweh. And he comes to these people, and he says, you guys are, are just in the complete wrong to be worshiping Baal. And, and let's decide once and for all who this one true living God is. So they build an altar. Pray for Baal to come, display himself through fire, and nothing happens. Elijah does, he even pours water on it to kind of, to prove, like, hey, this is an act of God. This isn't some magical thing I'm doing. I'm not, you know, over there behind the scenes, like, lighting it up. Like, he soaks this thing in water, prays down fire, and God just, boom, just burns that sucker up. 
and it's in flames immediately. You have to imagine this sight. I mean, this soaked piece of, of these pieces of wood and this bull, and all of a sudden, boom, just burst into flames. It was probably pretty crazy. But Elijah was proving, hey, there was one true living God. And here's what we can learn from the story. You ready? There's really not power in prayer. The power is in who we pray to. There's not, there's not power in prayer itself. The people of Baal are praying. They're praying to Baal. They say, Baal, answer us. Show us yourself. Yet nothing happens. The difference was Elijah was praying to the one true living God, the all-powerful, almighty God, the one who created the universe, the one who created the earth. So the difference wasn't that they both prayed. I mean, they both prayed. The difference was one was praying to the one true living God. So let me reiterate that. The power isn't in prayer itself. The power is in the one we pray to. So looking back at the first week in this series, our big dream to reach our community, our big dream to see God do something incredible in our schools, on our sports teams, wherever we are, that requires the power of God. And the only way we can do that is if we are praying that God will be in it, that, that everything we do would only be possible through the power of God. Now, here's what I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that we pray for fire to fall in our schools and to burn them up. But let's pray for a revival to fall in our schools. Let's pray for God to show up in the way that there's a fire burning in our hearts. Let's ask God to show up in the way that we interact with our people at school and our community. Let's pray for a revival to show up. We pray to the one true living God. If you're a believer in here tonight, there is one living God, the one true God. And we, we have access to him through prayer, and we can pray that he would do something incredible in us and through us. It's not about praying some fancy prayer. It's not about really even the words we say. It's only possible because of God. He's all-powerful. It's not what we pray. Rather, it's who we are praying to that makes that ultimate difference. So now we know why it's important to pray. I mean, I, I could probably spend all day talking about other important, why it's important to pray. But uh, we saw that Scripture commands us to do it as believers. So we should be doing it. We should be in prayer. We are, devote, we are to devote ourselves to prayer. We are to be praying constantly. And then we see that prayer, it has power. Not because it's prayer, but prayer has power because it's through the almighty God. That was gross. Of the universe. There might be a little more of that coming. Um, <clears throat> so that, that's, that's one thing I wanted to point out is, is why it's important to pray. Now, part of this whole series has been me giving you guys practical tools to carry this out. Because I can sit here and say, this is our goal. right? This is our goal to reach our schools, to see people come to know the Lord. But then if I don't give you any practical steps to take, it's never going to happen. So our practical steps, I mean, I showed you how I specifically study the Word of God. We showed last week was practical. We just worship together and what true and biblical worship should look like. This week, I want to point to you guys in, in what Scripture says and how we should pray. Because if you don't know how to pray, chances are you're not going to. You may pray before a meal, but it may not be genuine and, and reflect that in your life. So we see that, that command in Scripture to pray. But if you're not sure of it, you might not do it. So, first thing is prayer, it is a conversation with God. If you're in a, in a relationship with somebody, if you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, even just your friends, you recognize that in order to stay in right relation with that person, you need to talk to them, right? If you claim you have a girlfriend, 
and you don't talk to them in three months, that's probably a sixth grade relationship, and, and you never really are communicating with one another. Um, I wouldn't consider that really a relationship. Yet so often we, we may claim, we as believers, if you're a believer in this room, that we have a relationship with God, yet we never really take time to talk with Him. And the reality is, if we never talk with God, if we never have conversation, we're not in right relation with Him. We can't really know His will and study His Word and know His plan for our life if we aren't in right relation with God. Now, the good news is, um, Jesus gives a great example in how we are to pray. And I'm sure it's a prayer that most of you guys are familiar with called the Lord's Prayer. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to look at that, okay? And what I want us to see is that when, when you go and, and you pray, whether it's in a group or on your own, you can say the exact words of Jesus. Yes, it kind of lays out a formula that we can follow as we pray. So Matthew 6, it's going to be on the screen, but I'm sure most of y'all know it. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then oftentimes we add the, for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Just a little side note, that's actually not in this scripture when we add that prayer. Not that it's not biblical or anything like that, but it's not directly found um, in the Lord's Prayer. But oftentimes we've added that as a church, kind of a long-standing church tradition. But we see a great example from God himself. So Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, gives us a great example in what our prayers should look like. Now here's what I want us to see. We can pray this prayer without praying these exact same words. Jesus kind of lays out a foundation, a formula, as you could say, for us to follow in prayer. Here's the first thing we see. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts off by just glorifying and praising the name of God. Hallowed, it's a fancy old word meaning honored, revered, be your name. So he starts off his prayer just by praising God. He starts his, off his prayer by saying, God, you are honored, you are revered, you are awesome. That's how he starts his prayer. He then follows it, your kingdom come. Man, we want God's kingdom to come here in Decula. We can pray that, Lord, your kingdom come here. That's where we could take a time to, to pray for that revival to spark in our lives, in our communities, in, in our churches. That'd be a good opportunity there. So the, the formula he's laying out, this first part, God, hallowed be your name. Our prayer should start off just in all that we can even talk to God, right? We don't deserve to be able to talk to God. We're sinful. We're, we're people. We're like dust. We're here and then we're gone. God is internal, yet he wants to have a relationship with us. So our prayer should reflect that. We should be in all of who God is. And then we should pray, God, your kingdom come your will be done. So what I would say is that that portion kind of falls into what I was talking about in, in praying for revival, praying that God's kingdom would come here, that we see God move, that we'd see lost saved, that we see people come to know the Lord. He moves on, gives us this day our daily bread. I think it's evident here that it's okay for us to pray to God for our needs. You know, maybe it, you don't specifically need bread, maybe you got plenty of that and, and milk in the, in the fridge at home, but maybe you need emotional healing, maybe you need spiritual help, maybe you need mental help, maybe maybe something physical, maybe you need help in school, maybe you're struggling with making friends. It's okay to present our needs to God. The problem is oftentimes, this is where we start our prayers, is it not? We would just say, oh man, God, I need you to give me an A on this test. 
you know, oh, Lord, help me to score six touchdowns today in my game. You know, we'd start with, with me, me, me. God give me. God give us. And that's not the, the example that Jesus even gives. And we got to remember, Jesus is the Son of God. He's God himself, yet he even starts with praising the name of the Lord. Then he moves on. Forgive us our debts. We also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We should be praying, confessing, and repenting of sin in our prayer. There should be time in our prayer with the Lord where we say, God, I know I've messed up. And, And we as believers, we know that we've been forgiven of sin, past, present, future. But in order for us to truly repent, turn away from sin, we need to constantly acknowledge our sin. The problem is oftentimes we as believers, we get in this mode where we say, I'm covered by grace. It's not really a big deal. It's not near as big of a deal as what that person's doing. We don't view our sin with the right weight. But we should be confessing, repenting, and turning away from our sin. And that's a portion where our prayer should lie. I think another interesting fact in this, you see that it kind of moves towards a plural sense. Give us this day. Forgive us. We lead us. Deliver us. I think it's important that we recognize that we shouldn't just be praying for ourselves. We should be praying for each other. We as the body of Christ should be lifting each other up. Tyler, you should be praying for CJ. CJ, you should be praying for Tyler. We as the body of Christ should be encouraging and lifting one another up. You see the example of it with Paul all throughout the New Testament, especially in Romans 1. He's talking about how he is constantly lifting up his fellow believers in prayer. He recognized that we're not in this race alone. We're not supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to be in this together. So I think that's another important aspect of prayer that often we forget. We forget to lift one another as the body up to the Lord. I think this lays out a good foundation for us when we look to what does it look like? How should we pray? Because I think we often get it wrong. I know I have. Y'all, this is one of the areas I struggle in the most having a healthy prayer life where I really feel like my prayers are not me-centric. Our prayers should be glorifying to the Lord. They should be a time of praise and worship. It should be a time of asking God to move, to bring the lost to the Lord. It should be a time where we request our needs because he's a good God. He cares what we're going through. It's a time where we should be confessing our sin to God and saying, God, I know I messed up here. And it should be a time where we're lifting one another up. 